0: Welcome. You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Cooler Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. Today on the show we're going to celebrate a victory for the environment. We'll be talking to Louise Steer from the campaign group Stop CSG Sydney about the New South Wales Government's Petroleum Exploration Licence Buyback Scheme. Later on in the show, we'll talk to Professor Steve Tingay about space debris, the pollution that humankind has left behind in space. Welcome to the show. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself?
1: My name is Lou Steer. I'm a founding member of Stop CSG Sydney, which is a community-based organisation which for four and a half years has been um, defending Sydney against coal seam gas mining.
0: And, and how did Stop CSG Sydney start?
1: We started um, after some of us read an article in the Sydney Morning Herald that coal seam gas mining was planned for Sir Peters. And we just could not believe that this was actually going to happen, that so, uh, such an industrial and hazardous industry was going to take place in the middle of the city. But it turned out that it was actually true, so we formed a grassroots organisation to stop that uh, from happening. And we have succeeded.
0: Excellent. Um, I mean, obviously it's not okay to to drill for coal seam gas anywhere, but it just seems extraordinary that they'd want to do it in the middle of the city. Um, What was their stated motivation for for doing this?
1: Well, what had happened was the previous government uh, issued coal seam gas licences for $1,000 each over 85% of New South Wales. Uh, it's very little known that coal mining used to be undertaken in Sydney, in the Balmain area, and in fact under Sydney Harbour, hmm. and that stopped in about 1960 uh, when when the seams ran out um, because Sydney sits on a huge coal seam, uh, co- coal coal seam, which goes from uh, Newcastle to Wollongong, and Sydney's in the middle of that. But, uh, of course, it's quite insane to plan to do anything like that in the middle of a built-up area. Um, and that was what they were planning on doing. Mm. It was two, The area was the dollar Dump Site, a.k.a. Alexandria Landfill, in St Peter's, and it was 200 metres away from Sydney Park, where the Kernel Pipeline goes through. The Botany Aquifer runs underneath. And, of course, it was close to people's homes, and, and to uh, other factories and things like that, so it was completely incompatible with the existing use of uh, of that area.
0: And um, so you got the cancellation of uh, Pell Four Six Three, which is pretty exciting. Uh, congratulations on that!
1: Yes, we've been working on that for 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 all of that time, for four and a half years. But you did it, but and we did it, and we did it by mobilising. The local people, getting um, the local councils on site, in particular City of Sydney and Marrickville councils, um, who, once we explained the situation to them, became on side and and um, and helped us with our with our fight. And of course, um, the thousands of people in the area—they really didn't know what they were taking on when they took us on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and now they're buying back um, more of these petroleum exploration licences. What do you make of the buyback scheme?
1: Well, so far, so good. Um, the present government says that they have cancelled 70% of the licences, or licences over 70% of the state, more accurately, which uh, so that now there are still licences over 15% of the state. Now, that is a great victory, but it's still not good enough. And why it's not good enough is this, because the areas where those licences still are are prime farming land, which should be retained for farming and not for coal seam gas mining, which is very detrimental to the environment. Um, For example, while Pell 463, which extends from Rudy Hill down to Mundina and out as far west as Penrith, has been um, uh, cancelled, much to our joy, Pell 2, which adjoins it and covers... Warrenora Dam, Warrigamba Dam and Cataract Dam is still on foot. And uh, coal seam gas mining has been taking place in the Pell 2 area in Camden for over 10 years by AGL. Very little known when they first started, totally unregulated when they first started. And um, now they have housing built up to within 200 metres of the coal seam gas wells which is really, really inappropriate. It was legal at the time to do it, but, um, you know, whoever thought that was a good idea is really, you know, insane, quite honestly.
0: Mm. Is all of this, any um, drinking water catchment protected now?
1: There have been some areas excised to protect the drinking water catchments, but it is the view of Stop CSG Sydney that this does not go far enough because it doesn't cover the runoff into the dams and it does not give sufficient protection to the catchment areas. As a result of pressure from our organisation and other related organisations, such as uh, Stop CSG, Illawarra and Lock the Gate Alliance, they did change the boundaries from the 200 metres that was originally um, planned to two two kilometres away from... Developments have to be two kilometres away from the dams. But that is still not far enough because of the way the fracking um, is done, because it extends through the rock strata for long, um, for, for long distances. And uh, the chemicals used to uh, in the fracking process will pollute the water supplies. There is no question of that. The most serious chemicals have now been banned by the New South Wales government, which is another victory. But there's still a whole bunch of other chemicals that... Um, that are used, that are still uh, toxic carcinogens. And uh, we oppose the use of any of those, or in fact of fracking at all.
0: So you don't think that there could be um, safe coal seam gas mining? No.
1: (laughs) It's our view that uh, coal seam gas mining can never be safe because of the uh, damage to the land. Um, All around the world it has increased earthquakes. For example, um, in uh, Arkansas, in, uh, I think, 2013, they had um, 2,000 earthquakes in a year, and it's not a known earthquake zone. In Oklahoma, they have discovered that um, earthquakes have increased dramatically as a result of fracking. Even in England, as a result of fracking in Blackpool, they had earthquakes, a place where they've never had them before. So that is uh, a very serious... A damage to the land, also the use of the toxic chemicals used in the fracking process, poison the water, poison the land, poison the animals. We now have reports coming out of Chinchilla that the watermelons they grow there taste funny and uh, and they're now being tested. We don't know the results of those tests yet. And, uh, and, and also of oranges that turn purple when left out overnight, also in Chinchilla. Now that's... Not only strange, but incredibly alarming. We have health reports coming out of Tara in Queensland of the people there with uh, a lot of mysterious illnesses that um, they attribute to coal seam gas mining. But it cannot be proved because the Queensland government never did any baseline testing of the water supplies or of the soil before they commenced fracking in that area. The New South Wales government has now promised that before starting fracking in new areas, they will conduct baseline testing, which means that we will then be able to see the results of fracking, um, which is really another massive victory for
0: us.
2: Mm. Um,
0: yeah, it sounds like, it doesn't go far enough. It sounds like the campaign's going great. Like, what do you think it'll take to, to go all the way and just to totally ban fracking in New South Wales?
1: Um, continual persistence, which is what it's taken so far. What we have is an alliance of just ordinary, everyday people, many of whom have never really taken any interest in activism before, getting together, saying this is not acceptable, we don't want this to happen in our communities, and joining together with other communities to uh, continue to protest. We write submissions, we monitor the situation, we communicate with each other, some people go up and actively protest, lock onto the machines so that they can't be used um, while people are locked onto them. They're willing to get arrested to do that. Everyone has a part to play in the protest and the activism. But um, And, and uh, we've got this far simply because of the number of people involved and the, um, and the persistence of the people involved. And uh, once you know what you... Once you've learnt this much about coal seam gas mining, you realise that you cannot, that there is nowhere safe in, anywhere in the country um, for, for it to happen, because it will damage the environment and the water supply everywhere, particularly as Australia is so dependent on artesian water. Most of the Australian water supply is underground, which a lot of people don't really realise the Great Artesian Basin goes under New South Wales and Queensland and is the major water supply for those states. And if that water is tainted, polluted or depleted in any way, then um we will be facing perpetual drought, which is something they're now facing in California. Although wow. that's due to other reasons, um than fracking, because they banned fracking there.
0: Given that there's actually only so much uh fossil fuels that we can We can dig up and burn before we um, destroy the planet with climate change, which I assume is part of what's happening in California. Why do you think that they're going after this hard-to-reach coal seam gas?
1: Well, they're doing it because it's the death throes of the fossil fuel industry. Um, Coal seam gas has been locked up for millions of years uh, for a very good reason because by locking it up, it's methane gas, and methane gas is a greenhouse gas. It actually contributes to the carbon in the environment and it contributes to the um, warming effects of climate change. By locking it up in the rocks, it created the pleasant, temperate climates for most of the world to live in. By unlocking it, we're unlocking a very dangerous genie out of a bottle. There are alternatives. Sustainable energy sources are very well developed and um, are being implemented in many places around the world. Um, And it's simply because... It's certain vested interests um, want to drag the last drop of fossil fuels out of the earth before uh, it becomes um, unsustainable and uneconomic to do so, that they're doing this. 85% of coal seam gas mined in Australia already is not used for the domestic market. It is not stockpiled for the domestic market. It is exported to China and... um, That is actually going to be changing because China is now dealing with its own climate change issues and its own pollution issues and is now building sustainable energy at a great pace and um, switching from coal to sustainable energy. And that change will be affected very quickly, I think, in China. So uh, a lot of the interests that are now buying coal-seam gas licences our Chinese interests so we'll actually have the strange situation that we will be buying our own gas back from China because they won't be using it in China anymore they'll be selling it to us instead because we'll be the last hold out in the fossil fuel world
2: mm.
1: if, if if things don't change. However I'm hopeful and I'm hopeful because Four and a half years ago, we would never have thought that we would have got this far in bringing in regulation, the creation of the Office of Coal Seam Gas to oversee and monitor the mining industry and to prosecute and enforce the regulations, and, um, and the buyback of the coal seam gas licences over a large part of New South Wales. That is tremendous progress in a short time, mm. so I'm very hopeful that we will be able to continue making progress as long as we um, keep the pressure up. It only needs to be for a few more years because um, the economic environment will then change so much that sustainable energy will be the obvious choice and um, even the federal government will have to recognise that and take steps to convert to it.
0: One of the aims of Stop CSG Sydney is to achieve a moratorium on unconventional gas mining until the Royal Commission is held. Um, Are you happy with the final report of the Independent Review of Coal Seam Gas Activities that was published last September?
1: Um, Happy with it in what way?
0: Uh, Do you think it uh, could take the place of a Royal Commission?
1: No. And the reason for that is because the Royal Commission um, takes sworn evidence Uh um, in public. And what that means is people have to swear to things. That's one reason they're avoiding a Royal Commission is because there is no scientist probably in the world who would be able to swear to the fact that coal seam gas mining is um, not detrimental to the environment. This was made very clear in the chief scientist's report, both her interim report, which is very extensive, and her final report where she referred to um, best practice and superb best practice now, at that time, there was no such thing as best practice of any kind anywhere in the world. Mm. And um, the government has gone some way to developing um, regulations to manage coal seam gas mining, but that still does not alleviate the actual issue of the damage that it actually causes to the environment and to public health.
0: Mm. Um, thanks for c- coming on the show.
1: Oh, it's always a great pleasure. People can get involved by googling "Stop CSG Sydney" um, or "Sydney Residents Against Coal Seam Gas." We're on Facebook as "Stop CSG Sydney" and as "Sydney Residents Against Coal Seam Gas," and we're on um, and we have a website as well called "Stop CSG Sydney." So Google us "Stop CSG Sydney." You'll find those references. Click on them and then you'll find out how to get involved because we have uh, monthly meetings and we have um, regular events.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. That was Louise Steer from the community campaign group Stop CSG Sydney talking about the New South Wales Government's Petroleum Exploration Licence Buyback Scheme. The human species has done a spectacular job of polluting every part of planet Earth, but did you know that it goes beyond that? Estimated millions of pieces of space debris are orbiting the planet, left over from space missions and satellites. At the remote Murchison Widefield Array in Murchison, West Australia, Professor Stephen Tingay has led a team of scientists in tracking this space junk. Can you please introduce yourself?
2: I'm Professor Stephen Kingay. I'm Director of the Curtin Institute of Radio Astronomy at Curtin University in Perth.
0: And can you just tell us basically what is space debris?
2: Uh, Space debris consists of all the bits and pieces of rockets and satellites that have been launched into Earth orbit over the last uh, 40 or 50 years and it's those bits that remain orbiting the Earth in space. They haven't de-entered, they're just continuously uh, travelling around the Earth.
0: And um, what problems do they do? do these pieces cause?
2: Uh, well, the, the more and more that you have in Earth orbit, um, the more congested it gets, and uh, when you launch new expensive satellites, there's a, an increased risk of um, some small piece of space debris destroying your satellite.
0: And how big does a piece of space debris have to be to cause an issue?
2: Uh, it doesn't have to be very big at all. Um, something of order a centimetre or so in size. Um, remember that the, these bits of space debris are travelling at uh, six, seven, eight kilometres per second. Um, at that speed, even something small can do a huge amount of damage to uh, a satellite or um, for example, uh, International Space Station or something like that,
0: and um, how long do the pieces of debris last in orbit?
2: Well, depending on what sort of orbit they're in, they can last uh, they can last essentially forever. So there are bits of space junk up there now that are thirty forty years old um, and uh, these are in high enough orbits that the atmospheric drag doesn't have an effect, and they they essentially stay out there forever.
0: How can this affect people on Earth?
2: Well, we rely these days uh, very, very heavily on um, infrastructure in space, such as uh, communication satellites, uh, GPS, um, the satellites that are used to monitor weather and um, um, all sorts of scientific experiments. So we're very heavily reliant on things that are in space. Um, Uh, So if a communications satellite gets uh, destroyed, for example, then that would have a a real effect on people trying to use uh, satellite-based communication systems. But it turns out that the more debris you have, um, actually the greater the chance of having uh, debris uh, colliding with each other. So when you have two defunct satellites uh, smashing into each other, that produces a massive cloud of debris. So the the debris sort of multiplies over time and you can get to the point where you have a a runaway scenario where um, there are so many collisions that the lower orbit just becomes unusable. So we definitely don't want to get into that position because it means that it will be very difficult to uh, have new and expensive uh, satellites orbiting to do new things if you can't use that orbit.
0: Can you use a higher orbit?
2: Well, for some things, yes, but um, for many things, you need to have uh, a low Earth orbit. Um, um, So that's where the majority of the space debris exists, because most stuff is most useful uh, in the low Earth orbit, and so that's the most congested part of space at the moment.
0: With your project, the way that you were tracking this space junk was quite interesting. Can you please explain it for the audience?
2: Yeah, so I've, I'm not a I'm not a uh, someone who's worked on space junk for a long time. I'm I'm an astrophysicist. Uh, we've built a new telescope, uh, a radio telescope, in the middle of Western Australia. The the primary mission for this telescope is to look back in time to the first uh, billion years of the universe when the first stars and galaxies were being uh, born. But um, we've discovered a really interesting. Uh, secondary use, if you like, for the telescope, and that is to track and monitor space junk. So we do this in an interesting way. Um, Our telescope receives uh, radio waves at what we call low frequencies, and this includes the FM part of the uh, radio spectrum. So I guess you guys are broadcasting on FM radio today. So when you broadcast this program... The radio waves go out from your tower and they're received by people sitting on the Earth's surface um, uh, for many, many kilometres. But many of your radio waves are disappearing out into space, never to be seen again. Some of those radio waves that you're broadcasting into space um, reflect off some of this space junk and are reflected back down to Earth. So what we've done is use uh, FM transmitters near Perth. Uh, We use the triple J transmitter. Um, And the radio waves that that transmitter produces get broadcast up into space uh, where they hit some of the space junk um, for 500 kilometres above the Earth's surface. And then those radio waves are reflected back down to Earth and we're actually able to detect those reflected radio waves with our radio telescope. And that allows us to make images of the space junk as they travel um, in their orbits. So it's a form of radar, um, but it comes completely for free because the FM radio stations are broadcasting all the time. uh, And we're simply sitting there observing the universe all the time. So we we can see the space junk as it travels Uh, throughout the field of view. And it's a very interesting new capability for uh, detecting new junk, characterising the orbits, um, and especially when you have these breakup events where two satellites collide, uh, figuring out what's happening in the aftermath of that. So what we've actually found is that the combination of uh, the laser tracking, the high-frequency radar, and the Murchison uh, wide Field Array, provides a sort of suite of capabilities that, that cover all the different possibilities really nicely. So uh, that's that's the way that we're approaching it as uh, one of a number of complementary facilities around Australia.
0: So obviously you're tracking um, space junk and uh, satellites can move out of the way of, of bigger pieces of space junk. Um, but are, are there also some solutions that people are working on to reduce the space debris?
2: Yeah, there's a, a huge amount of work going on to to um, come up with methods to reduce the amount of space junk. So I think every every uh, rocket that carries a satellite or, or mission into space uh, these days has to have a predetermined plan for how they're going to deorbit orbit um, the material that goes with it. So, for example, if you're launching a satellite, you can't just launch it and then... Just leave it up there forever. When you launch it, and it's finished its mission, or it's finished its job over a number of years, uh, then you've actually got to um, have a method of pushing it back down into the atmosphere and, and deorbiting it, and making it land in an ocean or something to uh, to get it out of space. So there are, there's a whole policy framework uh, that's agreed internationally to try and reduce the amount of new space junk. Um, there's not a lot you can do about existing space junk. There are some pretty wild ideas about launching satellites that actually go around and collect the space junk and, and then deorbit to take it out of orbit. Um, but obviously, that's incredibly expensive.
0: Mm. I, I read about one um, using ground based lasers to change the orbit.
2: Yeah, that's um, using the, the sort of similar facilities to, to do the tracking where you actually fire energy via a laser into a very small piece of space junk and, and then give it a nudge as it changes orbit.
0: Well, thanks so much for appearing on the show. No worries. We've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network with Corey Green. That was Professor Steve Tingay, the Director of the Curtin Institute of Radio Astronomy at Curtin University in Perth. He was talking about space debris. Earlier in the show, we heard from Louise Steer, from the campaign group Stop CSG Sydney, about the New South Wales Government's Petroleum Exploration Licence buyback scheme. For more information, go to stopcsgsydney.org.au. If you're interested in campaigning against coal seam gas in your area, go to www.lockthegate.org.au. If you missed some of today's show, you can download our podcast at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Melbourne on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 03 9419 8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au